1963. Coming off the success of characters like Spider-Man, Iron Man, and the Fantastic Four, Marvel Comics icon Stan Lee wanted to create a new team of superheroes. Unlike his previous works, these heroes would be born with their powers and subject to prejudice and bigotry, a reflection of the world at the time. Marvel Girl, Angel, Beast, Iceman, and Cyclops trained at the Xavier School for Gifted Youngsters under their mentor Charles. Their team was the X-Men. Drew, the X-Men. So longtime listeners of our show may or may not know that I'm a huge, huge X-Men fan. It's something that rivals my love for Batman. It's hard for me to say which one I like more. But as I don't know your history with the franchise as well, were you a fan of the X-Men as a kid? Or did you just watch the cartoon? Or what, what's your history with, with the this Mary Mutants? Well, Miles, I can tell you, I didn't read a lot of comic books. Again, listeners to our the older version of our show know that I started reading comics during the time frame of the old more you nerd. Uh, it's been probably less than ten years that I've really been reading heavily. So I've gone back and read in retrospect a lot of older X Men comics, but. I, I don't know. A t- the most of what I know about the X-Men comics comes from the 90s cartoon and the movie. The 90s cartoon did a pretty good job of adapting a lot of the major stories. So that's not a bad reference point to have. Well, Miles, before we get into that, I do want to say we're talking about best returns here. And the X-Men have never really gone away. So why did you choose this as our best returns for comics? To properly answer that question, we're going to have to go back in time to 1963 with the creation of the X-Men and kind of follow the story of the X-Men up till now to properly explain why I'm calling this a return. After the book debuted in 1963, it sold fine for a good bit, but sales soon lagged and the book was basically soft canceled with no new stories being printed from issues 67 to 93. Uh, This is a a practice that was done a lot of times back then where they wouldn't outright cancel a book. They would just publish stories that they had already done and called it a new issue. That is mind boggling. It's really weird that this is something that happened. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but in 1975, uh, Len Wan and Dave Cockrum reintroduced us to the X-Men with giant size X-Men number one. And this is one of those iconic issues that even if you've never heard of the X-Men, you have seen that cover. I, I'm sure when I said that, you know exactly what cover I'm talking about. I, a giant size X-Men number one is a book that I am familiar with the name of, at least. So this saw the debut of Nightcrawler, Storm, Colossus, and Thunderbird, and included characters that had been previously introduced to Marvel Comics that were being introduced as full-fleshed like main characters, uh, mostly uh, Wolverine, Banshee, and Sunfire. And this new team of X-Men was created to rescue the original team on the mysterious island of Krakoa. Oh, that's a name that will pop up a couple of times in this episode. Right. With the success of Giant Size X-Men number one, the monthly title continued new stories with issue number uh, 94 
under Chris Claremont by issue 117, they changed the title to The Uncanny X-Men. Claremont was basically the sole writer through the 80s and turned it into a very successful book, making some of the most beloved stories like the Dark Phoenix Saga and Days of Future Past. The end of the 80s also saw new and soon-to-be influential artists who would go on to found Image Comics, like Mark Silvestri and Jim Lee, find success after working on this specific book. Jim Lee, current creative lead of DC Comics. Yes. Lee would actually join Claremont in a second X-Men title in 1991, simply titled X-Men. And at this point, the combination of Claremont's writing and Lee's pencils built such anticipation for the title that retailers ordered a record-breaking 8 million copies for X-Men number one because there was three connecting covers, and everyone assumed that collectors would want all three. While the number is a little murky, we can confidently say that over 3 million copies were sold, and the book itself, the one issue, grossed over $7 million, making it the best-selling comic book of all time. $7 million in 1991 dollars is over $13 million in 2020 dollars when we were recording this episode. That's insane. One issue did this. One <laughs> single issue. And that doesn't, when you compare it to, you know, movies and things like that, it doesn't sound like a lot of money. But for a comic book, that is astronomical. Well, and you have to think of what they spent on making the issue itself from writers and art rate at the time. Like, Oh, for sure. That that they made so much money off that book. <laughs> well, and that book stuck around because that's the book where all of these Jim Lee designs for the characters, the maybe the most iconic designs of all of these characters, because that's what was used in the animated series and in all of the other media that came around in the nineties. Cyclops with the with the hair sticking out and the big red. Yeah, still my favorite. <laughs> I, I I know it's goofy as all get out, but I love that look so much. But so, and that's where again, 1990s X Men the animated series. My introduction to the X Men really, and a lot of 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 my fellow millennials' introduction to it. That iconic opening theme song. Yeah, so good. And the X-Men the Animated Series was applauded critically. Its ratings were great, and it brought in all of these more mature storylines. And again, I'm using the term mature in the maturity level, not the rated M for mature. Right. They uh, they took the material seriously. It's not that it was super bloody. It was just, it basically did the comics justice. And yes, it was might've been a little bit serious for maybe like a five-year-old, but it was never worse than a hard PG. But this is where trouble begins. Because uh -oh. in the early 90s, we have a ton of success for Marvel. But overspending on these excessive... Ex that With the expectation that they're going to sell another $7 million comic, they're spending on alternate covers and overprinting issues and a lot of other things that cause Marvel to declare bankruptcy in the late 90s. Yeah, so in, in 1996... They were, yeah, like like you said, they were they had filed for Chapter Eleven bankruptcy, and so they allowed a company which I don't think is around anymore called Toy Biz to purchase what was called the Marvel Entertainment Group to help stabilize the company. Uh, soon afterwards, they began diversifying and started getting into feature films. Uh, first, with the successful Blade series, which led to X Men getting made. Yeah, Blade was a Marvel Comics hero. A lot of people don't realize that even today. <sighs> so weird and 
well, at the time, the idea of a cinematic universe was beyond anyone's wildest dreams. Like, if you had told me even in 2005 that, oh, yeah, they're doing an Avengers movie, but all these movies are going to lead up to it, I would have looked at you like you were crazy. Yeah. So they were selling the rights to studios left and right. So you know, Sony had the Men in Black, which was a Marvel comic. A New Line Cinema made Blade. Sony had also had Spider-Man. And Fox had X-Men and Fantastic Four. Regardless how you might feel about those films, the X-Men live-action movies did really well for Fox. They grossed a little over $6 billion. But during this time... Well, during this time, <laughs> we have a little a little character... Uh, a little upshoot company. A little upshoot company called Marvel Studios come in, and they make a little movie called Iron Man. Mm-hmm. And Iron Man contrary to reports at the time, was a huge success. Following with Iron Man 2 and Captain America and Thor leading up to the first Avengers film, astronomical box office success. Yes, and during that, Marvel itself was purchased by Disney in 2009. That's where things get a little complicated. Because this is why... I wanted to talk about the return of the X-Men. The X-Men were never gone outright. However, under the new management, Marvel became more or less indifferent to them. The open secret was that Disney execs were not happy at all, that they did not have the rights to all of the Marvel characters, specifically major franchises like X-Men and the Fantastic Four. Like these were these were classic characters. Everyone knew who they were. While the Fantastic Four might not have been as big, I mean, those movies did okay. Like, I, I don't like them, but they did well. I would count Spider Man in that same capacity, with the exception of Spider Man being a character that is so standalone that you can't really replace him. Well, in the same way, that's kind of how the X Men were. Marvel knew. Because Spider-Man was so synonymous with Stan Lee and Marvel, they couldn't really do a lot. And that's why you see them eventually playing nice with Sony. Uh, the X-Men themselves were still a bit too big to fail because, you know, most of these kids grew up with the 90s, the animated series, the uh, boom of comics. So they were still buying X-Men comics, but Marvel did their best to kind of cool that down. The hope was that they would introduce the Inhumans, into the MCU as a suitable replacement. Now, Miles, for our our folks who are not comic book fans, who are the Inhumans? The Inhumans are, oh boy, (laughs) another podcast entirely. (laughs) Um, But they are basically another group of humans who are, for lack of a better term, so don't come at me, uh, genetically altered to have powers. We'll put it that way. They, they go through something called the Terrigen Mist that changes their body, and it mostly gives them powers. I know that's an oversimplific- eh, oversimplification, but I understand that. They, and if you look at them on paper, they seem very similar in a lot of ways to the X-Men. They are mostly human-looking, though there are some really crazy-looking inhumans. Oh, yeah. They they have powers that were are bestowed upon them at a certain age. They don't evolve into them like they do in the mutant with the mutants. They they get them by exposure to this this mist, and uh, they live on the moon. 
Yeah, so Marvel tried to distance themselves from the mutants and tried to kind of shoehorn in the Inhumans, going as far as, even in the comics, saying that Scarlet uh, Witch and Quicksilver were actually not mutants, and they severed the familial relationship with Magneto, who had long been written as their father. All of a sudden, turns out, oh, no, he's not. And this is part of the reason why you have Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver in both because they were both members of the Avengers and the X-Men. That's why they made that deal to have both of the or at least Quicksilver because Scarlet Witch wasn't in the the X-Men movies. They were in both movies, but they were not allowed to talk about each other. The 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 Disney Marvel movies were not allowed to call them mutants at all. They called them enhanced humans, I think was the term that they used. Yeah, and some people overcorrect me and I just I don't know if if the movies ever specifically definitively say what they are there may be a scene where someone says something but i don't think it's ever gone into it and then from then on they they just don't care it's just that oh scarlet witch has powers and i want to land on this a little bit more because these are two characters that are huge in the x-men comics and marvel comics they are magneto one of the the biggest villains of the x-men slash heroes of the x-men slash anti-heroes of the x-men they're his kids and, yeah, and, and under the Disney banner, they are completely changed for the purposes of supporting this film franchise that is making so much money. Yeah, and it's it's very weird because those characters had, while they were both synonymous with being Avengers, they were, I don't think they either were ever X-Men. They were always associated because they were introduced as part of the Evil Brotherhood under Magneto. It's, it was just kind of weird to see that kind of schism. That wasn't the only creative choice they made. Even in the comics, Marvel went as far as making the Terrigen Mist, which I previously said gave Inhumans their powers, as this roaming thing that all of a sudden became a plague for mutants, leading to a, a comic book crossover called IVX, Inhumans versus X-Men, which saw the two war over the conflict. And as with most creative choices involving the Inhumans, it wasn't great. The heavy use of Inhuman storylines in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. were mostly met with lukewarm results. And their feature film that they had planned for the Inhumans was turned into a TV limited series, which was basically dead on arrival, along with Marvel's hopes of finding replacements for mutants. I do want to throw out a couple of, well, one inhuman that has seemed to survive and been successful the new miss marvel well i say new she's been a character for probably a decade now kamala khan uh yes is has been in so many books she's one of their top characters now as an inhuman when i talk about uh the inhumans i'm mostly talking about the royal family and inhumans as a whole in that aspect there are like you said inhuman characters like kamala khan who have done incredible things on their own. This is also part of Marvel's Inhumans, where that roving mist, Terrigen mist cloud hit the Earth and and inhumanized, I almost said mutated, inhumanized a bunch of regular humans, and Kamala was one of those, and that was something they were trying to do, which is also different than the Inhuman stuff they were trying to do before. This is going to get too complicated to talk right. about. Right, so we should, yeah. But but it does it does show that they were trying to make a version of mutants that they owned. This all basically 
it stopped creatively because all these stories were mostly met with shrugs and laughter. But on March 20th, 2019, Disney finished the acquisition of 20th Century Fox, giving them access to many, many properties, the X-Men chief among them. Only a few months later, which is bringing us to where we are now, a renewed marketing campaign started pumping up the X-Men franchise with a a rebooted idea by Jonathan Hickman to relaunch the X-Men under the moniker Dawn of X. This is why I am arguing for its return. And I'm going to give you some numbers to kind of back myself up here. So the month of the Disney purchase, August 2009, Uncanny X-Men is the number seven selling book at 90,221 copies. December 2016, after being mostly sidelined and Marvel trying to use the Inhumans uh, to kind of replace the X-Men, Uncanny X-Men is the number 71 selling book with 37,000 copies. It's not cancel-worthy, but it's not amazing. It's a third of the sales. Right. Which brings us to last July 2019 with the Dawn of X initiative, which saw two books, House of X and Powers of X, coming out pretty much concurrently. House of X was the number one selling book of the month with 185,000 copies, and Powers of X was number two with 167,000 copies, blowing away all of the competition and putting the X-Men back in the top 10, where it has mostly stayed, at least one X-Book has been the top 10 since then. You So we have to talk about this. Powers of X and House of X are partner books, and they were released yes. weekly. So you'd get a Powers of X, then a House of X, then a Powers of X, and a House of X. Basically, you've got that for those first two, the first issues of House of X and Powers of X combined, because they're written by the same writer, almost four hundred thousand copies. Right, and what's what's crazy to me, and this was a weird thing that I I was like, I kind of wish. I know why they did it, because if they do it two separate books, it really guarantees the more people will buy it. But House and Powers of X, it really feels like one weekly series that you get. Because I think both books publish two issues a month because they're both six issues and it's done by October. May It may not have been directly every two weeks, but I mean, they were basically trading weeks for a while. I think there was like a, a one week off somewhere. But it reads as a 12-issue maxi-series. There's something more important to me about this, though, Miles, because, again, as we talked about at the start of this episode, I'm not a huge X-Men person. I know some of the past. I know major characters like Magneto and Apocalypse and etc. cetera. <laughs> uh, but when you look at this Dawn of X, and this is what we're going to focus on tonight, Dawn of X is a complete reinvention of the X-Men, not just as a comic franchise, not just from a story standpoint or a character standpoint. It is taking everything that has happened since 1963 and completely turning it into this brand new, exciting, monumental storytelling event. You're right. And... I think the reason for both fans and newcomers alike, the reason it's successful is it doesn't retcon the history. And there's many reasons why it can do that. But the fact is, everything that has happened, if you've been reading since 1963, 
awesome. You're good. If you just started today, and this is something that X-Men has always been good about, you get enough context of who a character or what the relationship is with someone else that you see that and you're like, oh, that's interesting. I'd like to find out more about that. And then you can go to Wikipedia or a uh, Marvel encyclopedia and kind of either read up or find out what stories their relationship takes place in, and which for me has always been the fun about comics. A lot of people will come up to me and are like, I don't know where to start. I think there's a misconception in comics, and I drew, I think you can back me up on this, where that you have to start at issue one it's and a, you have to go all the way through. It's a huge misconception, and it's something that I have personally struggled with, especially looking at something like the Dawn of X event, because, well, I only know so much about the X-Men. Why do I need to... I mean, am I going to know what's going on? Am I going to understand and blah, blah, well, blah, Well, I'm going to stop you right there because I'm going to tell you right now, reading this book as a longtime X-Men fan, I didn't know what was going on for half of the book. Because <laughs> <laughs> I will say this, John Jonathan Hickman told an inc- – he took a series that always should have been a weird sci-fi melodrama and turned it into a very weird sci-fi melodrama. This book is super high concept and has – basically maintained this high concept through him overseeing all of the X books. The only thing I can say is he out Grant Morrison's Grant Morrison. (laughs) I I was a little surprised when you hopped on this book. So I would, I would love for you to kind of start things off and tell me why this attracted you because you are the newcomer you were talking about. You, you just said at the top of the show, you didn't read X-Men very much. So you were someone who they wanted. What about this book? made you want to try it. I know the X-Men is popular. I also, because I I have been kind of around the comics and the comic movie side of fandom for, for a long time now, understand seeing Disney sideline the X-Men. It was very obvious that they were doing this. That once the Disney buyout ha- of Fox happened and all of a sudden they got the X-Men rights back, you knew the first thing they were going to put out with this is something that they were going to spend a lot of money and time and talent on. So I pick up the first issue of House of X, and we are introduced to characters that we have seen for decades now. We are seeing a young version of Professor Charles Xavier that we have seen, you know, old Baldy himself, psychic boy, Charles Xavier, and meeting, presumably for the first time, a longtime X-Men side character of Moira McTaggart. Moira McTaggart has been a longtime ally of the X-Men. She was all over the comics. She was featured heavily in the X-Men first class movie and the, the movies that sort of followed that. But there's something a little different about this encounter between the two of them. And we are revealed that Moira McTaggart herself has been a mutant the entire time. And this was, so for me, this was mind-blowing because I had been reading X-Men comics since I was a child. This, X-Men comics were how I learned how to read. So, to, and, and this was never this was never hinted at. This has never been uh, previously conjectured this was the first time that we find out moira's a mutant and her powers are really fascinating and very important to this story i'm sorry drew i interrupted you what so yes you read this what about it kind of 
grabbed you because I know you. You've been re- you've been keeping up with X Men since, which made me stoked. But what is it about this story that really grabbed you? I know we're gonna get into everything, but I'm as your friend and co-host, I'm I'm really curious. <laughs> so you've also got all of these other images that that are throughout this book of these weird orange pods where obvious X-Men characters are busting out of as if they're hatching from these weird alien eggs. You've got Charles Xavier walking and wearing this weird helmet with, with a big X on it and all sorts of just mind-boggling things. The, the mutants have created a, a nation, not just a safe house, not just a hidden place where they can go, but a nation on the island of Krakoa. Flashback to Giant Size X-Men number one, the living island of Krakoa, who has been an antagonist to the X-Men on a number of occasions. Living there and working there and doing just some some real weird stuff. <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step in uh, with the Krakoa part. About, I want to say five or six years ago, they... They introduced the idea that Krakoa itself was a mutant. The the island itself was a mutant. Don't know how that works. Don't care. But that, uh, I want to say starting with, uh, I can't remember who was writing it. It might have even been Hickman. I don't think so. Uh, But a book called Wolverine the X-Men, which saw uh, Wolverine basically taking over the Xavier Institute after he and Cyclops kind of split ways. And so half half the X-Men went one way, half the X-Men went the other, including students. And so he started to basically refound the school in Charles' memory because at the time, Charles Xavier was dead. That is something that happens frequently in the X-Men. More often than not, they get better. It became kind of like a security guard. Basically, the, the mansion was on the island. The island became part of New York. It's, it's a whole thing. But so when they reintroduced this, because we had not seen anything from Krakoa in a while. So the the idea is that Krakoa just became its own massive nation island. And through some sort of science, magic, and power, it has become something that only mutants can enter. And then the next week, we have Powers of X number one. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing is the, these books and we're not going to go, I mean, we're not going to do beat by beat from the entire first mini series. We're going to kind of be talking about the franchise as a whole, but what Drew is basically saying is that first issue is packed with so much information. And if you're a new reader, the way Hickman writes it, it's not overwhelming. I'm sure a lot of you kind of glazed over as soon as I ta- started talking about the background of Krakoa in the last few years it doesn't matter if you know that or not For at sure. all. And, and and in fact, a lot of the stuff that happens in, in the powers of X book, which by the way, that conversation with Moira and, and Charles Xavier is in powers of X number one, not house of X number one. It just, it feels like one continuous first right. issue. Um, what, what this book basically establishes is that Moira's mutant power is that she has multiple lives and not in the way that a lot of mutants do. Basically, when she dies, she is reborn with, at the same time, like as her previous life, with all of the knowledge that she had in her prior life. So her first life we see play out. 
she is born as she goes to Edinburgh. She, uh, the mutant manifestation happens when she's 13 years old. Then she fall at 15. She falls in love with a man named Kenneth Cohen. And then she meets Charles Xavier. And then she marries Kenneth and has two boys, Callum and Dean. And then she has a daughter. And then she dies of old age at the year, at the the age of 74 of congestive heart failure. And then she is reborn. And she's not like she's not reincarnated. She is born in her birth year. So basically, she gets all the information that she had. And I, I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, Drew, but she basically gets the feeling that she has a purpose this time. Well, so she has a purpose a lot. And th- that is, that's one of the most interesting things about the Powers of X series, because the Powers of X series shows us different eras a thousand years in the future, a hundred thousand years in the future of, of, of different timelines and, and where that fits into Moira's life. And so she, there's, there are, there is a life where she determines that she needs to prevent the mutant gene from, from manifesting. It's a really fascinating take on, on how that is. And to, to make a long story short, there is a lot that goes into this and, and different experiences that she has had working with Apocalypse or working with Sinister or working with all of these different things to try to prevent this inevitable mutant apocalypse. Not the character, but the... Yeah, she's trying thing. to basically avoid a, 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 a doomsday event. Yes, thank and you. And what, what is so cool about this is because because of the way it's told... It doesn't trick readers into, aha, you know, you should have known this all along. It shows that, no, the version that you have seen throughout your entire reading period is this this new life. But we're showing you she has lived nine prior times that she's made some erratic decisions in her life. This is why she, she did certain things that seemed out of character. It's all because it brought us to this point. And I really liked that because, again, if you have been reading for a long time, it's rewarding. If you're a new reader, it's fascinating. The way that Hickman is able to tell that story for both new and old readers, I think is such a powerful tool to reignite this franchise because you're not starting off with this big battle with Magneto. You're not starting with a big you know, age of apocalypse. This is... Like you said earlier, Drew, this is basically a new status quo for the X-Men. It is a new status quo for the X-Men. Let's talk about Krakoa. Yes. Because I think that this is this is the thing that is at the heart of, of this, is that this, this X-Men book is not just about the X-Men. It's about all mutants in a way that these books have never been before. And that's what you just said is super important because... From from this point on, when there is a spinoff book, it never feels like it's a cash grab. It never feels like it's trying to force a character upon you. It is telling you another facet of this mutant life. And what I find fascinating that they're able to do, and a lot of it is because Hickman's writing a lot of these books. The man must never sleep. He <laughs> has made it so that you can read one book, maybe two but everything kind of passes through so that if, you, if you're if you reading X-Men and 
a book called Marauders, which focuses on Kitty Pride, you're fine. You, you, I mean, they'll talk about events and other ones, but they'll present it in context as if you hadn't read it. And I think that's very, very important. It is very inclusive as a reader. Now, as an X-Men fan, I'm reading all these books. Of course but as, you are. Yeah, but as someone who, like, Drew, I think you're just reading X-Men and Marauders right now, right? Uh, and uh, X-Force. X-Force. And, and honestly, if you're going to read two books, X-Men and Marauders, if you're going to read three, X-Men, Marauders, and X-Force are the way to go. Um, so, well, so, so let's, let's set up the world that these X, that the, the yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm now. sorry. I got off on a tail. I'm just, I'm really, really excited about I know this, you are. This, this new X-Men <laughs> world. It's so cool. So on the, on the island of Krakoa, the mutants live as a nation. They are led by a council that, that features such members as Charles Xavier, mm-hmm. Magneto. That makes sense. Apocalypse. Wait, what? Uh, Emma, uh, uh Frost. Uh, Shinobi Shaw is on there. Uh, a couple of reluctant members. I, th- I think Nightcrawler is on there, isn't he? Nightcrawler is on there because he's he's the <laughs> the religious. Uh... Yeah, he's also the one who does not want to be in charge yeah. at all, which I think makes him the perfect person to be in charge. So, so again, this is this is a, a drastic change in that mutants are often paired against mutants in X Men stories. One of the first villains of the X Men were or was Magneto. And his Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. It was the '60s. What else were you gonna call it? <laughs> right. <laughs> and and here with with this plan that that Moira and Xavier and Magneto have had that we still don't fully understand yet. It is Krakoa is a home for all mutants, and that's such a huge deal. And that they have brought in all of these. Like ancient, like Apocalypse is an ancient evil mutant. He has been a bad guy for thousands of years, and he is on Krakoa, telling stories to children. Well, and this is what is so I think so cool about this is it does hit the reset button for a lot of mutants because it asks the question: What if we level the playing field? What if you were in a place with no prejudice where you could actually? be a person and grow a little bit without the trauma that being a mutant involves. What, what if you're allowed to, what if you're actually given a, given an opportunity now apocalypse is different. He sees this as this is what I've always wanted. The stuff they do with him is very interesting, but other characters like pyro pyro was kind of a, just down his luck, sad sack that fell in with the wrong crowd. But now he's given the chance to like liberate other mutants and and do the right thing because he has a place that he feels at home. He's got a place to call his own. He can start fresh. And I, I think that everyone can relate to wanting to start fresh. And that's one of the, the coolest things about this. Everybody is is seemingly on a new platform. And there's still some trust issues. But, well, and there's some characters who are still difficult to control, like, like Sabretooth. Sabretooth is still freaking Sabretooth. <laughs> yeah, which a murderous and one of the few people who was in prison on Krakoa. Yes. And you might see faces if you, if you read in the 90s and, and, you know, fell off comics, you might have been like, oh, wait, I thought that person died. Well, what happened? Drew, what happens when a mutant dies? So here's... <laughs> One of my favorite things about 
the Dawn of X series. Everybody knows that a character in comic books, when they die, they're never really dead. Well, it turns out that the mutants of Krakoa have figured out a way to bring people back from the dead. <laughs> they, they have this group called the Five, which are five mutants whose powers symbiotically work to regrow the bodies of, of, of mutants from this registry that Charles Xavier has kept for decades now that we've never known about before, but whatever, and match that up with this psychic copy of their being, their essence, their soul, to bring any dead mutant back to life. And I think there's a line somewhere where basically you kind of have to re-download your consciousness like once a week or re-upload so that like your memories and stuff, like if you do die. Well, Xavier does that automatically for every mutant on the planet. No, but he made some some comment earlier because like you don't you don't know your last X seconds. Kind of like in um, it's, 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 an Alter Carbon where if you die before you re-upload your stack or whatever. Yeah, it's, it's a backup copy that happens at certain points. So you're not, it's not from the moment of death necessarily. It's from the moment that your last backup was, but he does it on a regular enough basis that you don't lose yeah, too much. Yeah, and I think it's a it's a cool storytelling, uh, I don't want to say gimmick, but it's definitely a, a cool storytelling characteristic because now you can just bypass that. You don't have to worry about it. And, and that's, in fact, a huge part of one of the most interesting amazing moments in the in these this these house of x and powers of x comics where you have these characters that have gone on this mission that has been successful but has cost them all their lives and to see them reborn spoiler warning i guess sorry <laughs> uh, oh we, 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 hey, we didn't say anything specific so you just know that some x-men characters die uh, now but, but but to be reintroduced to this this world of krakoa that is proud and cheering to see them and and they're announced to the to the to this roar of this crowd and it's it's something that mutants have never had before not just that because yes the cultural aspect is interesting because they talk about how they've created a mutant language they're starting to make mutant works and their homes i think are made from the island for the most part it's like a biotechnical combination of like Doug Locke and Krakoa. Doug Locke is a kind of sentient computer. Uh, he's complicated, but, uh, but there, there, <laughs> you, you there, also the, have, you also have, we talked about the mutant language. You, once you, if you're a mutant, there are, man, this is, this is Krakoa has portals and they're portals that are based on seeds of plants. And each seed is paired with each other. You plant it in one place, you plant it in another place. And that, and once they grow, they're a portal back and forth between the two places. Only mutants can go through these portals. And once you go through it, you are then with the mutant powers. You, you then just suddenly learn the, the mutant language, but there's something more to that that I want to land on. The mutant language actually has a written alphabet. And in much the same way that star Wars has the, the written alphabet that you can just transpose English characters there are hints about everything that's going on in these books that are coded in that mutant it's alphabet. That, that once that once you get to a certain point and you have enough letters and you can go back and see 
what what the codes are and what sort of hints and teases that there are in it and it's extreme it, it's so clever i love it i love i love i love dumb stuff like that i love no it. it's <laughs> and, and we're only basically ex- like explaining what what powers of x and house of x does is it basically takes 12 issues to 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 set up the world and that's why and he said that's why he didn't call it x men number 1 is he wanted you to buy into everything so that you knew how this X-Men story was going to start. And I think one of the key things is that they have uh, basically declared Krakoa a sovereign nation. And within Krakoa's like plants, they have the cure for most human diseases. Basically, for every nation that recognizes Krakoa as a sovereign nation, Krakoa will do trade with them and basically give you the cure for cancer. The cure for the common cold, the cure for most things that ail humans, double the human lifespan. Yes, and and here's where this is something I wanted to touch on earlier because there are a lot of of countries that are they're not on board because the X Men have traditionally been in a world that fears and hates them. That's the tagline. Yeah, and this is something that that Drew I brought up, and then uh, when I was researching things and writing things down and some that drew texting me separately uh, a core problem that i have kind of always had with the prejudice against the x-men is you have a world of superheroes and i understand that some mutants can be dangerous and some were bad guys but this the same happens with regular heroes and villains it wasn't really until civil war that I felt that the universe kind of synced up where it was like, okay, now they're, they're against other superheroes too. And everyone with powers is suspect. But prior to that, I I always didn't really get the prejudice against mutants. Well, the prejudice against mutants is because Spider-Man got bit by something. Captain America went through a process. Most of the other superheroes and supervillains, the 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 Fantastic Four got blasted with with cosmic rays. The Hulk got blasted with with gamma rays. They're all either accidents or something that happened to them. What the X Men represent is a oh, I understand what they represent. A change in humanity that could just happen, and it could be your neighbor. It could be your your brother or your sister yeah, or I've your never, kid. I've just never understood why that mattered. <laughs> I, I, I get it. But again, the, this is a product of the 60s, which was a, no, no. a, a different time. But 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 I, this is, yeah. I understand, I understand the allegory. I understand what the stories are telling. I'm just saying in the context of the universe, I never really fully understood the prejudice against the X-Men when other superpower people were running around and that was fine. Well, and that's, again, something that's super interesting here because you have this sudden mutant nation that has something that a lot of people want. Cures for diseases, longer life. The only cost, you have to recognize the mutant nation. Yeah. And you have the mutants not as this oppressed people that are on the run and being hunted and being protested against and... Well, they're still being protested against, but, but but you don't have them as second-class citizens. You have them as this rival 
new flourishing nation. I'm glad you phrased it that way because, and this is something we see as the X-Men series itself goes on, there are characters that have always been sort of altruistic and uh, pacifist and generally what you would consider kind of good guy qualities using some very worrisome language in how they refer to the mutant human relationship. I think that's what's going to be the kind of crux of the story going forward is you have people like Xavier and Cyclops using some strong superiority language that Magneto used to use. I'm not certain that prof- I mean there's there's something there's something there very something dubious. off about there's something yes. very very off-putting about the way that a lot of our longtime good guys are acting in this. But this is what I like about this series, even for longtime fans and for or newcomers, you you start questioning things like, well, he's acting really weird. Is is something up with him? I mean, Xavier himself has been brought back from the dead. And, and not not too long ago, are we certain that's Xavier? Are we certain these people who are coming back, who they say they are? I mean, we just don't know. And I and it may be nothing. It may be being paranoid. But when you read the first issue of House of X and you see these newly born X Men crawling from these regeneration sacks and Xavier standing above them saying to me, my X-Men with this weird toothy smile. It's and that every single article on his head. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Every single article was like, eh, something's not right about this. So there or, is this air Miles, of mystery. Or is it because the mutants need to rally together in this way to fight off and as yet unseen oppositional force it is fully possible i mean we have we have we have been shown several apocalyptic visions of the future we know for a fact there is going to be a series next summer called or this coming summer called sort of x where several mutants band together to fight some unknown source there there is a lot of questions in the air that have not been answered but that's the fun of this universe is you have a couple of people acting off and you have a lot of Game of Thronesy dealings between like like Drew said, some people are going on, living their life, just doing their thing. Some people have turned over a new leaf. Some people are still acting shifty and it, it makes for a compelling drama. And we haven't even brought up the one mutant who can't even who can not even enter Krakoa. There, there is someone who cannot enter Krakoa and by that cannot be resurrected Mm. that is one of the most enduring and popular x-men i would say since the 80s Catherine kitty pride what yep this this character has i would say almost against all odds been a fan favorite since her introduction she is actually the uh impetus for joss whedon creating buffy that was he said that Kitty Pride was one of the main inspirations for Buffy Summers. And we we discover early on that she can't enter. And so her book, she leads a book called Marauders, where she basically <laughs> becomes a pirate of basically and sails to different places freeing mutants and taking them to Krakoa and also delivering Wolverine beer. <laughs> 
I think this is a good time to wrap up our, our discussion of this because we're still, as we're recording this, in the early days of all of these books. We're less than a year apart away from from this this big introduction. We have a whole new super successful run of comics. A whole new start for characters. You have the returns of characters who have been dead for years. Yeah, you've had uh, Sync from Generation X. I mean, you have characters that have been on and off dead, like like Black Tom Casty, who's like the security of of Krakoa, which is fantastic. You have a newly formed Mister Sinister, who they just turned into this like fosh, like foppish gossip queen, and I love it. <laughs> Sinister is so great. You've got you've got characters that have been recently resurrected off before this book happened that seemed to be tied into what has been going on in the lead up to this book, like Cyclops and Professor X and Jean Grey. Oh, and we got to talk about one of the coolest things. I don't know if coolest is the right word, but we got to talk about the Crucible. Oh, do we want to talk about the Crucible? It's so cool to see. Play out. I, mean, I, I, I think we should at least like give people like, because we've been kind of bouncing around. We haven't given a specific plot. We're just kind of telling you the state of the X-Men and I think this idea is really cool. Okay, I'm going to clap twice, and we're going to talk about the Crucible for 20 seconds, and then I'm going to clap again, and then okay. you know, no longer spoilers. Okay. So there was an event. The Scarlet Witch, in her mutant powers, because she was still a mutant at the time, said, no more mutants. M-Day. She depowered so many mutants, so they just became normal humans again. What happens when these humans want to regain their powers, want to to get reborn with with all the cool stuff that they can do in Krakoa, and they're not allowed to do it because they're just humans again? Well, there's the Crucible. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good enough teaser. Uh, honestly, that that issue was so cool because in the context of X Men time, the thing that the M Day, uh, which is not a spoiler, happened probably a couple years ago. So the way that people have gotten around that is so fascinating because some people were children, and you have to come of age to do this, and it's it's cool. It puts apocalypse in a very cool light, and it just. I know that we have not been very linear with this discussion, but that's because what is so exciting about this new era of X-Men is all of the world building has changed. And that is what got someone like Drew to start reading X-Men comics. That's what got someone like me to really try to be evangelical about X-Men comics more so than I used to be because this is really good science fiction. This is really cool. And it gets to the core of the kind of social commentary that the X-Men used to be. And it's asking some really tough questions. I think it's such a fascinating book. And I wish that more comics would do that, that they were more vibrant. They weren't just steadily, oh, we're going to tell comics like we did in the 70s. This is something new. This is something fresh. When I said this was out Grant Morrison, Grant Morrison, I meant it. This is the one time where I was like, oh man, I can't believe Grant Morrison didn't do this because this is out there. It is a whole new start. It is a step one for the next generation of mutant stories in, in Marvel comics and the next generation of comic book readers. I think this is a massive event that people will be talking about 
in the way that we talk about the Age of Apocalypse or the Dark Phoenix saga. And they're no longer facing the same bad guys and enemies that they always faced before that were similar, but with a different, a different spin. It is totally new for, for these characters. It's really, really cool. It's really fun. It's really interesting. And I can't wait to see where it goes from here. Yeah, it's it's so fresh and it's something that that they haven't done before. It takes elements that have been used before, but actually executes them in a, in their full capacity. And as a longtime X Men fan, the X Men has always been a soap opera, and that has not stopped. So all the character stuff that you loved is still there. There's some new stuff that put some character relationships in a new light in some hilarious manners, Wolverine, but. <laughs> I, I cannot recommend this new era of X-Men enough. I know that, you know, it, it's a it's a deep dive, but maybe get a Marvel Unlimited and spend some time diving in the last uh, few months of X-Men books. I promise you, even if you don't love it, you will at least be glad you read it because, like, man, Marvel is doing something well, like they used to say with... Uh, Giant Size X-Men number one. It's all new and all different, and the X-Men has never had a brighter future. And that's going to wrap it up for our best returns, the X-Men. I think we pulled it off, Miles. I don't know about you. I'm pretty happy with that. I mean, honestly, I could probably talk for about three hours about the X-Men, so the fact that you were able to kind of whittle me down here is is a a pretty good... uh, pretty good job <laughs> got i got you on a leash <laughs> so with that said next week oh we have a surprise next week folks what's our it's, surprise it's certainly a return what's our surprise you are going to have to check out our social media to discover it we're not gonna tell you <laughs> nope. you're gonna have to follow us on twitter at the more you nerd you're gonna have to go like us on facebook facebook.com slash the more you nerd and you're gonna have to find out there because what we have lined up is gonna be pretty fun and pretty exciting no so. i will say drew i you know i'm a little bummed our, our email box is still a little dusty and i would love to spend some time reading some of our listeners thoughts and i've seen the downloads i know they're there so if you have your own favorite returns if you have thoughts on what we thought about some of our favorite returns please send us an email at themoreyounerd at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. We'd love to read, uh, if not the whole thing, some excerpts on the show. And, you know, I just, I want, I want to hear from you guys. I, I, I love what we put out, but I'm kind of curious as to what you guys thought was the, you know, some of your best returns. And it could be anything. It doesn't have to be the mediums that we used. But uh, yeah, if you want to, if you want to come at us, it's uh, the more you nerd at gmail.com. That's right, Miles. All right, gang, we come to the end. Yep. So we're gonna end this show like we always do with a rousing nerd out. out. <laughs> <laughs>